We are glad you are with us for another edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning. Our guest is Wall Street Journal columnist and author of an upcoming book on supply chains titled Arriving Today, Christopher Mims. Thanks for joining us, Christopher. Thank you both for having me. And Chris, uh, great to have you. And, and maybe we can get, get a chance to talk about your book a little bit since I've played in the supply chain for a while, or at least used to, and, and we can really want to talk with you about that too. Terrific. Well, Chris, your, mo- your most recent keywords column is headlined, self-driving cars could be decades away, no matter what Elon Musk said. Give us a little overview here. So the bottom line is that for years we were promised that we were going to get this kind of drop-in artificial intelligence, a drop-in replacement for humans. So my metaphor is you buy a car and it drives itself off the lot. Um, you know, Musk has talked about this, I think in 2015, he said, oh, it's a couple of years away. Others have promised that it's pretty soon. We started getting some noise, some coverage a couple of years ago that maybe we were not on schedule to get a human level driver. Um, but what has happened since then is, you know, as one, as Melanie Mitchell, who's an AI researcher at the Santa Fe Institute, uh, so eloquently put it in her recent paper, which I'm going to mangle the title, but it's something like why AI is harder than we think. Um, the whole industry has kind of continually redefined what autonomous driving is, what can we expect from it, and yet has continued to miss its own deadlines and promises even so. And what we've really arrived at now, if you talk to the folks at Waymo who are quite earnest about this and pretty honest about it in my estimation, also Cruz, is that we can get a sort of limited autonomy where there is constant human monitoring, where vehicles only go on certain prescribed routes that are extremely well mapped and the maps are frequently updated. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not necessarily driving on highways. You know, Waymo is explicit about we're not going to go on highways initially. Um, you know, or you get this kind of uh, trucking company, Too Simple or Aurora style uh, autonomy where they're only going to go on highways, but it's not clear how much human involvement is going to be involved with transitioning, you know, on and off highways, on ramps, off ramps. You know, it, it, they're sort of swearing, Waymo is swearing that they're going to expand soon. I got the feeling from talking to them that in the next five years, they're going to be picking up and dropping off paying passengers in San Francisco, which is a much more complicated environment than where they are now in sparse, good weather all the time suburban phoenix um but you know the way that we've solved autonomy besides uh, you know probably more than 100 billion dollars in investment in research and development at this point is by just continually narrowing its definition and we're almost kind of at (laughs) the monorail stage where it's like okay like let's maybe we'll build some dedicated lanes or um you know, it's just these kind of dedicated corridors for these vehicles that are going to be operating at a loss for the foreseeable future. It's not, oh, I'm going to buy a Volvo tomorrow and it's just going to let me fall asleep on a cross-country trip. We're not anywhere near that. 
Yeah, I, it, it's it's been very frustrating for me, um, you know, not really being on the inside, but at least thinking that I'm in the inside, at least, you know, I've been participating and trying to make this happen for for more than, I guess I first got involved in automated mobility for, for cities and in January 1971. I mean, you know, were you born, Christopher? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's like pathetic, you know, when you look at it, 50 years at it. And, and, you know, certainly originally, you know, within monorail, you know, you had to be on a guideway, you had to be exclusive, you had to, and, and we could do it. We, at least we thought we could do it. And in some sense, we did it in Morgantown. And Morgantown has operated automatically, almost on demand, sort of on demand from one station to another station with the service concept of doing that. But of course, within a constrained guideway, so you don't have kids chasing balls or dogs running in there and sorry so i'm not on. familiar with the, the morgantown reference well so the more the morgantown personal rapid transit system was well you uh, built by boeing uh trish nixon cut the <laughs> cut the ribbon you know and so on and it was and harley o staggers was the uh, congressman from west virginia who just i guess wanted money to go to West Virginia and said, "Hey, go do this uh, there and uh, and make it happen." And I don't care, just spend. I, I'm I'm being flipping a little bit, but but they built the system, and um, and it's operated since essentially 1975 76 continuously. Certainly, nobody's been killed. Maybe some student, you know, broke an ankle or something like that when they tried to, you know, put who knows how many West Virginia students in there to stuff it like a Volkswagen Beetle or something like that. And it's it's just operated. The problem is, it never grew. It never expanded. It never, for who knows, or the whole host of reason, great, you know, you did one, you, you almost got the thing started, but all the visions of it, you know, like, you know, going and providing mobility to all the cities, never got off the ground. And, 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 you know, for various reasons, one, you have to build the guideway and da, 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 and you have to get the land and so on. And so really, to me, the, the really, the thing that happened with respect to the, uh, to the uh, DARPA uh, challenges 15, 16 years ago was that we said, said, oh my goodness, let's just put all the intelligence, all this stuff in the vehicle and let it be able to run on any, not any road, but at least roads that have reasonably smooth and, and have, have paint on them so that, so that we can see where in heck the lane. Hey, we need paint for ourselves to be able to see where we're supposed to drive. So, And so then if you don't have to go, you know, hat in hand asking for money for infrastructure, you can kind of sneak on the existing infrastructure. You might have the opportunity to get started in a in a Steve Jobs type of garage, you know, one vehicle, get it to work and then replicate, which is, you know, if you look at what Google's done, that's really what they did. They went out and bought a couple of Priuses, got them to work and then, you know, and then started replicating. 
but they haven't to me they haven't found the marketplace yet you know there there's been two marketplace opportunities one is to sell us cars that do this the other is is to create a fleet that somebody manages that provides mobility okay right and, and one thing that i didn't even get to in the piece i mean there's a there's an expert uh, Ashley, I can't remember his last name, but he's at R Street, and he's got really deep experience. He was an engineer, you know, he has a PhD, uh, and he actually analyzed the economics of these systems. And 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 I didn't have space for this, but it's kind of like okay, even if you assume that you get a working system, do you actually can you actually make money on this? And I had always assumed naively, like of course you make money on it because you know Uber's biggest expense is is paying the drivers, right? But Absolutely. the problem is Uber also gets the advantage of those drivers own this expensive, rapidly depreciating asset. And so if you actually model this and you have to own the fleet, maintain the fleet, uh, you know, even if you assume that these vehicles are, are less than what they would actually cost, there's so many additional expenses, including the fact that some human has to be remotely monitoring some quantity of these vehicles it's very difficult to make even working autonomous vehicles pencil out as a robo taxi business. Well, what, what it, what it has to do and what it turns, I think it turns out when you go do that and you're absolutely correct. Uh, there are a couple of things that you have to bank on to make that work. You have to bank on this being, you know, Moore's lawish type stuff, you know, which as you scale it, its cost goes to zero. Okay. So in fact, you know, the car that you actually put out there with wheels and so on isn't a whole heck of a lot more, maybe a factor of two or something, but not not 10x of what a what a current car costs. The second thing is is you, you almost you have to do ride sharing. Okay. Yeah. You you have to get to you have to get to an I'll I'll make you have to get to an average vehicle occupancy of two. Not one, two. Now, you know, to do two, you're going to do a lot of ones and some threes and a few fours and a couple fives and you know, maybe a six every once in a while. But in fact, if you look at, at the kind of mobility that all of us use and want and whatever is we tend to go in onesies, twosies, threesies and foursies. Unless you're in Manhattan, you can't pack 50 people into a damn thing, irrespective of what everybody tries to do in every city in, in the country. I mean, those things are just total failures. So, in fact, you know, the, the at least what I've ended up liking to argue is that is that the size of these things and, and their their flexibility in terms of origin, destination and when you know they do just sit there like little puppy dogs waiting to take us when we want to go we might have to walk a little bit and so on they, they respond to us rather than us responding to a schedule that hey i don't work on sundays so you don't get to go i mean and, and uh, right but make, I mean, that, you know, that raises make, another one of the challenges though which yep. is as you know you know demand for transportation is incredibly spicy. oh yeah absolutely so maintaining a fleet that could address rush hours is extraordinarily difficult. Right? Yeah, yeah, and it's then be the, underutilized the rest of the time. Yeah, the only the only 
potential saving grace in that is during rush hours, the probability that two people are going or three people or four people are going to want to go to, or you may have to push and shove them a little bit to want are willing to, to travel together. And then you put in, you know, the appropriate um, Kool-Aid in there to get them to, to agree to it. I mean, which is really, I mean, the sociology, it's, it, it ends up to me being more of a sociology thing to be able to hit it so that in fact you can do it so that it, it, it's a market. It, it, can, it can support itself. It can go out there and give mobility at, you know, some of us crazies think, you know, 35 cents a, a, a person mile, you know, I mean, even if you call it 50 cents, you can find enough, you can find enough, easy enough money to support a bunch of people who can't afford the 50 cents. And many of us can really afford the 50 cents if in fact, you know, the thing is there when we need it, when we want it, two o'clock in the morning, why not? It's sitting around, has nothing better to do, damn it. You, you don't need to, you don't have the Uber problem of getting somebody out of bed to go give you a ride at two o'clock in the morning, which can you imagine how tough that is for Uber to do? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I would push back on that. I think that, okay. that, that I think that if we lived in a world, this is my thought experiment. If yeah, we lived okay. in a world in which we already had functional robo-taxi services and uh and they were owned by some other company like yeah got there first yeah. 10 years ago and and two and other companies came along let's just call them uber and lyft yeah and they said hey we have this amazing innovation we are a two-sided marketplace you're yeah. gonna love our capital structure we don't own any vehicles yeah and we uh have humans drive these vehicles so they're responsible for any accidents plus they're more versatile than these robot taxis I think investors would be like, this is genius. This is obviously the future is human driven ride sharing. I, and I, but I think that we get so wrapped up in this idea that we're going to eliminate the payroll expense without thinking about all the advantages in terms of labor, in terms of, uh, you know, their uh, cost structure that Uber and Lyft are able to take advantage of, even just in terms of taxes, like they don't have to bear, they hired a bunch of freelancers everything in our current system incentivizes them to hire humans to do this. And I think if they were invented tomorrow or today, and we already had robot taxis, people would be like, this is genius. Give them $10 billion. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you, but I have a, however, <laughs> of course I would have it. I guess I would like to see the Uber driver make a living wage and be able to, pay his or her taxes yeah and be, I, agree. I mean you know it is i mean the the, the thing that gives you that then gives you the very sinking feeling when you start going to, you know doing what you did and, and and of course i do is that these people i think they're struggling okay and the question is is how many people do you have out there that are struggling that you can take advantage of there's a limit and and then it then it just gets ugly yeah you know i mean you know you'd love to have a toll taker on the new jersey turnpike taking tolls kind of job i mean yeah <laughs> I, I you know i that's that's if if it wasn't for that be thrilled 
and, and, and they've had, and you could do it if you could get them to share rides, but man, you know, if you, I don't know if you've ever tried to share a ride in Uber and Lyft. I mean, it, it is, they, they don't, they don't do it well, or they don't make it well, or, and the driver doesn't want to do it. And Uber and Lyft don't want to do it. And, and because there's a little bit of angst and a little bit more of anxiety associated with, and then, you know, everything goes south from there. Again, the site, the, the sociology and the psychology of this darn thing, as opposed to the technology. Yeah. It's, it's enormously complicated. Yeah. I mean, but we live in interesting times, right? Because we also live in a time when there are new phenomena coming up that might be uniquely compatible with some of this. Right. You know, micro mobility. There's even a startup that just got, I think, nine million in seed funding, and they're combining autonomy and micro mobility. So it's like a three-wheeled but fully enclosed trike, and the autonomy only kicks in when it's driving to you, and then you pilot it. I mean, there's so many. It's oh good yeah, no. What kind of ideas? <laughs> Fall out of that. No, that that that's that is an excellent one because I think you know I've always sort of said that 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 uh, you know why do I need an Uber driver just to get the Uber car to me? I could drive it from there. Okay, right. The the empty vehicle management problem of you know if we talk about if we talk about logistics, okay. I mean the empty truck movement, the empty the the fact that that demand is is not not only peaked as you said but it's not symmetric okay <laughs> or is not symmetric in the same in the right time frame such that you know you're waiting forever for somebody to come now take this thing and show up where you dropped it off to bring it back which is the whole problem with you know part of the problem with the scooter world and so on and the, you know i i dump mine here and it stays strewn on the sidewalk until who knows when uh, and where does that happen that happens at all the outskirts that have very little flow coming back and eventually all the stuff is at the outside i mean it's it's uh, it's, it's not so, so it's could not, this be alan what what the elon musk is is dreaming of the, to have the vehicle come to you and then you can drive it I mean, he's, well, ta- he's ta- talked about that type of thing, having an autonomous Yeah, I mean, uh, that, 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 could, that could happen. The, 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 only, the only trouble with, with making that happen is somebody has to be responsible for the vehicle when you're not in it. Okay? So who's going to, who's going to accept the liability of what the hell happens when you're not sitting there watching it, okay? I just think that I think that one is like that well, that's, is the that's the whole issue. One. That's the whole issue that you've talked about when it comes to any kind of private ownership of a of a truly self driving or driverless driverless driverless, driverless vehicle, vehicle is, is sort of what I've sort of suggested on that. You know, I Christopher, I send my car out to you so you can use it. <laughs> and then you just hop in and ride around. I've got to worry about that thing not killing you. I mean, you know, I do care, Christopher. <laughs> really, I mean, that's tough, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the 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 liability problem, I think, is another huge issue. I mean, I think this is why you have, uh, you know, Cruise, Zooks, right, which got bought by Amazon, and then other smaller startups all converging on the same model where. They're like, okay, we can't trust anybody else. Yeah. We are going to take full control. Like we have customers yeah. in this vehicle. 
to be as safe as possible. We're doing, you know, shared mobility because it's the only way to make any money. Uh, yeah. We control the entire technology stack, right? Soup to nuts. So, I mean, literally from the software to the wheels, it's completely vertically integrated. You have to be gigantic in order to pull it off. And, uh, and, 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 and I think it's going to be interesting to see how much market penetration they can really get. But like you said, you can't, it's very difficult to predict how people are going to behave, what new behaviors they're going to adopt. I always go back to micromobility because I was talking to Horace Dediu who invented the phrase micromobility. And he has pointed out that adoption of it has been so unpredictable and the ways in which people have decided, okay, I'm going to, you know, like in Europe, Electric bikes are much more popular, bike sharing. Here in the US, for some reason, these toys, right? These electric scooters got popular. It turns out it's partly because they're uniquely compatible with our existing car culture. It turns out people go to certain places like in San Diego, let's say, park their car, and now they have this mobility around a prescribed area that they can get to on a scooter. Or during the pandemic, it was because people didn't want to deal with shared mobility. So that whole curve of adoption has been just one surprise after another. And that's why micromobility is still here. And yet Uber and Lyft are suffering because of unpredictable changes in the amount of labor available to them, right? So, yeah. so the wages of, a, of, a, of, a, of an Uber driver, economists have shown, using internal Uber data yeah. Yeah. always fall to whatever the minimum wage is in an area because, because the, of the balance between how many sure. rides they get and how much they're getting paid per ride. And so with fewer and fewer workers available in general, that's why they can't have drivers right now. So what's your alternative? Maybe you hop on a scooter if it's a shorter ride. Who would have predicted that? Yeah, yeah. It, it, but the, the scooter is aimed at, at at more of your age bracket than my age bracket. Damn it. And so because <laughs> of her, oh, yeah, I'm so damn jealous. Well, you there, can't there believe it. But, 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 <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it, it yeah, I mean, it, it, this, but I think that, that to me, this, this, this is the discussion we should be having with respect to at least the driverless piece of this technology. And is that, you know, what, do we, what is it that we're trying to do is, is we're trying to provide mobility. And, and I, I, do, I don't think we're trying to sell a car to somebody. I mean, I've, I've, always, I've said there's Mercedes is never going to sell me one of these things because they're going to have to be responsible for it to make sure that that sucker works when I send it out there by itself. To. And and everywhere, anywhere. I mean, are you joking? I mean, you know, especially after I watch their commercials and it shows that I can go through snow that's this deep, and I send it out in a in in the next snowstorm to go get my 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 uh, latte at at Starbucks. I mean, are you? <laughs> they're they're never well, they're never they'll never sell me one of those things. I'm well, too Alan, irresponsible. And, and, and yet, Elon Musk continues. Uh, Tweets over the weekend again, talking about full self-driving version nine. Uh, he's vision, marketing his stuff. Thing. He's just he's just the marketer. Okay, he's not re- I, he's not really serious about that. He he's, he just can't be. He, you know, it's just it's just giving him giving him free. He how much advertising does he buy on TV or, or in the media? is it is it is it Nine. negative can zero. it be negative i mean it's it's at zero you know how many ads is he taking out in the wall street journal 
I mean, you know, I, I suspect I'll, I'll guess my over under is zero. I don't know, but he also he also has uh, infamously. Well, he does this periodically, but recently he just like fired his whole comms team. So you can't yeah. even he doesn't even have an interface really with journalists. Other yeah. Than- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just, he, I guess, you know, he figures he puts the stuff out there. They repeat it. He gets, uh, and people buy Teslas. God bless them. You know, I mean, you know, that, that's fine. Uh, you just, one just has to take it. It's whatever. fine, except for the NHTSA investigation. <laughs> well, yeah. 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 Well, you know, I guess in, in, in smart driving cars, I'll comment about, you know, some, somebody in a Honda, you know, killing somebody. Uh, on on the street that was that uh, was with a horse drawn whatever, and 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 I guess to me what what you know Honda needs to be they they need to be they need to be brought to to court and say why did my Honda collide with an object when I have I have automated collision avoidance systems on my car. Okay, so this is forget about driverless. Forget about I have a person. Okay, why is why is my car hitting anything? Okay, I mean we should we 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 should be able to. Nobody says that you know deal with that piece of this automation. Okay, have these cars stop hitting things and and stay between the, the lines. I mean, you know that's doable and. That's that should make money for folks, and it may not be all this, you know, Sunday supplement, da da dee, da da da. I'll go get my Starbucks for me, but darn it, it's going to keep some people from getting killed. And there is preliminary evidence that the the automated collision avoidance and braking systems do lead to significantly fewer accidents. I don't know how to evaluate Tesla's claims, but Musk always points to both the safety record of. Tesla vehicles with so-called, uh, you know, automated driving engaged, and right. also the number of disengagements that they have to report to whatever it is, the California yeah. DMV or whatever, you know, and that keeps going down. And the disengagement, of course, as you know, but for anybody listening who doesn't know, it's every time that a human had to take over from the computer that's driving. So if disengagements are going down, that means the computer's getting better at driving, presumably, or humans are getting better at knowing where and where to go. Yeah, operate. Yeah. Either both. one. So what? Nobody, but that's the good. Point being, you're absolutely right. We It should be getting radically safer. And I think that we should want these technologies to get out there as driver assist systems as quickly as possible absolutely and 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 call that a victory because you know that's that's where we can start out of the 100 billion that's been invested by the investment community start tolling up something in return and and this is wonderful put it out there and forget get get off this thing that it's gonna it's not gonna drive us when we're drunk Okay, it isn't going to do it, but at least if we're drunk, it's not going to let the car hit stuff. Okay, at least the darn thing should stop. Okay, stop. <laughs> Put on the damn brake. I don't know. And and I, I Christopher, it's it's up to you to put it out there. I, I mean, you you have. I think you have to be pounding on that. Not to suggest what you should be doing. I don't mean to do that, but I mean, you have a megaphone here. You know, with the Wall Street Journal, you know, to, to say, "Look, this is this is great for society." 
this and especially the latest numbers from the pandemic in terms of you know in terms of the number of deaths on our highways right. it's, un, uh, it's know, unfathomable I mean, that it, it, road miles went down so much but traffic deaths went up went up i mean you know it's because we're, hey we're great drivers when we don't misbehave but as soon as we start misbehaving, we get ourselves into trouble. You know, we start going too fast. We start drinking too much. We start being on our damn phones. Okay. I mean, those are, those are just misbehaviors. And so, you know, we need something that when we misbehave, either, you know, maybe it's going to keep us from putting it, turning on our cell phone, may at least stop the car from crashing in the stuff or running off into the woods so just just to back up for a second safety impact aside yeah um you know the two things that motivate consumers are you know status seeking behaviors because we're all just over evolved primates still and expense right and so you know musk tapped into the status seeking behaviors um it was really interesting today there was a report in bloomberg about how the best selling electric vehicle in china costs four thousand five hundred dollars is this tiny square and um because of the cost because of the subsidies there because it eliminates people's fuel costs effectively it is selling you know like crazy and i just thought oh that's so brilliant this is what this was the other end of the spectrum that we were promised that we haven't really gotten from evs yet and I don't know why, maybe it's just Americans and their habits, but at what point, maybe in terms of autonomy, but in other terms as well, do you think that this is going to start materially impacting people's transportation expenses so that they can still have some degree of personal transportation, but at a lower cost, right? Because the cost of new cars keeps going up. You know, this is transportation is, it's the second biggest part of people's household, you know, budgets, I think. So how come when are we going to be able to leverage some of this technology to tackle that challenge and the friction it adds to our economy and the inequality that it causes well i hopefully soon okay i mean one of the things that i in new jersey we we have the we have a very strong um um uh, effort for creating low income housing Okay, there's sort of this Mount Laurel resolution here in New Jersey that you have to provide affordable housing as a community. Unfortunately, where does the community build uh, affordable housing? Where the land's cheap. Guess where the land's cheap? Where there's nothing. So what do you need out there? You need mobility to live out there. Okay, and so we stick poor people in low-income housing and then make them go out and buy expensive mobility to be able to do anything from out there. So we don't have, we don't have, the point is we don't have low income living, you know, affordable living. You have to, you have to marry both the housing and the mobility together, which gets to your point. How do we provide them with affordable mobility that really allows them to get to places not on the bus route that doesn't run on Sunday or whatever, or admit, or, you know, you know, that, that gives them the flexibility and, and the availability of, of these low cost electric vehicles. I think that China 
will probably flood the U.S. with these low-cost electric vehicles, just like they did with the scooters soon. Okay. You know, yeah, it'll be now, interesting to now, see what the tariffs are. It, it, then, you know, once they start doing that, as you saw, you, you, you saw the response to the flood of the scooters or the flood of the electric bikes or the, you, you know, I, it, you, you probably can anticipate this similar flood. They have, what, 300 different companies making EVs or something in now or whatever the number is in China. And the one that you mentioned today, you know, they probably they probably take that plant and talk about replication. They'll, and they'll put them on the boats. And as long as they don't get stuck in the Suez Canal or they don't come, they'll, you know, they'll be here. I, and, I assume they wouldn't be eligible for the incentives they're talking about in Washington. Maybe not, not the incentives. Not, you money back you may money. not. I, in the end, I, hey, with scale on these things, I don't think you need the incentives. You know, electric motor is like, I mean, why is Elon into electric vehicles? Because they have, you know, half as many parts. You know, when you look at it, it is fundamentally a less expensive entity. Okay? Right. Once you get the battery cost down. And yeah, the, the, the batteries have always been, you know, that's always, but it, it almost looks like we're making progress on the batteries. Now we haven't dealt yeah. with, you know, where the electric city really comes from coal, uh, you know, where does that stuff really come from? I mean, Oh my goodness. You know, how do you get rid of it at the end? Oh, you know, whoops. Uh, you know, we have, we have a lot of work yet to do on all those. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll be back with more, but first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, look for the white paper. It's called the Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, as you probably know, can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category. The site, once again, is MOTOETF.com. We're back with more of the Smart Driving Cars podcast and our guest, Wall Street Journal columnist, Christopher Mims. Christopher, you've got a new book coming out on supply chains. That seems pretty timely, no pun intended. Give us, a, it's called Arriving Today, and it's arriving this uh, just a few months from now? Yeah, in September. So... Uh, that title will become progressively less ironic as the summer uh, grinds on. But um, yeah, you know what? The, the book came out of actually, so I'm a tech reporter first and foremost. The, the book came out of experiences I had in you know, nearly fully automated or highly automated warehouses where you know, all my life I'd been promised that we were going to have robots that were going to take over all of these roles. Never really seen it outside of some specialized manufacturing um, you know, but one day I walked into a, a you know, fulfill, grocery fulfillment center in a suburb of London, and it was nothing but robots. And there were two people monitoring everything. And I said, this is unbelievable. This is the future. Like, I have to write about this. You know, it took me through the automated warehouses of Amazon. But then I realized that I wanted to trace the entire path, right? Because 
you know, for whatever reason, I've always been obsessed with, you know, I pick something up and I'm like, where does this actually come from? I think we all have that impulse, but we just don't have access to that information. You know, we like to know where our food comes from, but we don't know where our computers come from. So I went all the way back to the source, you know, so much manufacturing is moving into Southeast Asia, tons of stuff that we think is made in China is actually made in Southeast Asia with parts from China, of course. Um, and I traced that entire supply chain and the people involved and their relationship with the tools and the technology that they use, because, you know, they're kind of like bugs in amber. Like, they, you know, one, one writer described their jobs as cyborg jobs. They're so deeply embedded in this scheme of automation that they are like cyborgs, you know, like if you are piloting a ship, you know, it doesn't matter how big the container ship is. You might have a crew of like two dozen, you know, that hasn't changed in 10 years. It's significantly smaller than it used to be. Um, you know, once you get into automated warehouses, of course, there's tons of uh, robots kind of making people productive enough to get your delivery out the same day or the next day. Um, so it's, it's really just, you know, containerized shipping, trucking and its discontents, which is still in some ways kind of a dysfunctional industry in the U.S., you know, the people who are really being driven to their limits within these Amazon warehouses, but why Amazon is still able to hire so many people. Um, and that goes into a lot of history of labor stuff, Taylorism, which I think is kind of this thing that I wish more people knew about. I, I wish more people knew about Taylorism than Marxism, frankly, because I think that Frederick Taylor and his disciples created the, the modern world of work and all of our ideology about how hard we should work and how efficient we should be um, but it's the water we swim in, whether we're a blue collar worker or a knowledge worker, we don't really think about that. And then I took it all the way to the present and even a bit into the future because, you know, I spent time with folks like Starship Robotics who are doing, they're the only company on earth that's doing fully automated delivery at scale today. They have done more than a million deliveries. They're in dozens of cities, college campuses all over the world. And of course, the way that they have done it is it's a six wheeled robot. It's literally as big as a cooler. So they made an end run around all of the issues with autonomy that we just talked about, you know, and I also spent time with um, Too Simple, which is one of the leaders in this self-driving trucking movement, which, you know, to be determined how, how well that's going to work or if they're going to deliver on their promise of getting fully driverless big rigs traveling 70 miles an hour down Texas and Arizona highways by I think 2023 is their current promise. Um, so, you know, does that mean a future with, with less humans? Because right now this is an unbelievably labor intensive industry. We keep adding more technology and it keeps making the humans more productive. And then we just demand more of the system, right? Because underlying all of this is the basic fact that we've all become very acquainted with during the pandemic. We don't have to go to stores anymore, but that means all the hours that we spent driving to the store and shopping, somebody else is doing that for us now. And it's right. You so go. Reversed. You go into a Whole Foods, and you're you're the lone individual shopper there. <laughs> They've got people fulfilling orders, running around the stores. Right. It's like it's like you go to a grocery store, and really, what you realize is, oh, I'm an unpaid Amazon picker in an Amazon-owned warehouse, and and I drove here on my own to spend my time doing this, uh, and it's free labor for Jeff Bezos which is the opposite of what it used to be, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go to the grocery store and browse. Nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, to me, that's, that's what you know, intrigued me with, uh, with the whole logistics system. And, you know, for years is that, is that 
the key to it is it requires the orchestration of a number of moving parts. And each of the moving parts has to perform at a particular level. It can't have much of a distribution around it because if it has a distribution around it, that distribution gets exacerbated at the next step and then the next step. And then you miss a connection and then the da do and then the da da and then the da and then the, and, and in fact, you know, the, the, the thing that is, I used to run global logistics symposiums, symposiums, you know, in which, you know, in the, you know, 80s and 90s, in which, you know, brought people as to how you bring people in. And certainly the big thing, not only automation, but computerization and having everybody at least, you know, create a song sheet that everybody then deals with that song sheet. And then you have pieces in this thing that, that are automated that can perform with very little variation. But then you need some, you, you, it turns out you, you need these things every, every so you, 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 need, you need the people, you need people in there. And now you have to manage them so that they also don't vary very much. And I think that's that's where one gets in the trouble. <clears throat> you know, these pickers in in Whole Foods, they're monitored. You know, they get performed. The number of beans they pick, it gets counted by, you know, some who knows what, either a person or a robot system. Yeah, it's, it's all and, and, and they they miss picking some beans. They get I mean the again. Again, the sociology piece on top of this technology piece, because you have this human in the loop part that has a, a, a broader vari variance associated with their performance. Whereas I write code and I get that sucker and I can run an optimization algorithm, ba ba bim ba ba boom, pew, nail that sucker, you know, to get you then to perform on what I nailed it. We talked a little bit about with respect to Uber, getting somebody out there at two o'clock and what a, you can get a computer to do it. You, what about what, what do you think about all those pieces? <laughs> you know, that interaction. I mean, it's. <sighs> yeah, it's entirely it, it's, it's entirely management by algorithm. Um, and, you know, the underlying pressure is is cost. And for Amazon, it's delivering on the promise, which means that if they tell you it's going to be there, right. tomorrow, it's gonna be there tomorrow, no matter what. Um, and that does have a high human cost. I mean, I think that Amazon in particular treats it, th their attitude is, one of their executives once said, um, you know, Amazon is a hard place to work and we're proud of that. And they, you know, take that how you want, but it's, they have this attitude like they're the Marines. I mean, this is why they offer, they, ha they, they literally will offer you money to quit in the first six weeks if you, if the job's not for you and it's because they want to cycle through employees until they get the mo the highest performing ones and in some ways that's genius in other ways though it does suck people into their kind of machine who it's not that they're motivated because they're so fit and they're so well suited to this kind of rapid picking or delivery or whatever it's because they're just desperate or they need the healthcare, uh you know or they need the relatively higher wages at amazon and so you do see you know, higher than much higher than industry average injuries in Amazon's most automated warehouses, which to me is just 
it really illustrates the, the the problem. And it's also just this terrible irony that they brought in robots saying, we're going to make everybody's life easier and we're going to make it a happier workplace. And what happened was instead, it sped up the pace of work. And now humans had to match that pace of work with a narrower range of physical motion and activities. And so, you know, people get injured, they get RSIs. You know, I actually talked to... I mean, spoiler alert, this is something that's unique to the book that hasn't come out yet, but I actually, by accident, found researchers who had worked directly with Amazon, so they had access to internal Amazon information, and they had been tasked with creating a system that would automatically catalog the movements that make workers made inside their warehouses to try to reduce the injury rate, but as far as I know, it hasn't been implemented, and there's I've seen no evidence that Amazon has addressed the sort of core set of problems, which is that the the pace of work is inhumane and you know people don't have enough breaks. You can't even sit down. You literally cannot sit down when you are picking 10 hours a day at, a, at an Amazon warehouse. You get two 15 minute breaks, but it'll take you that long to walk to the bathroom uh, and you get a half hour for lunch, but good luck squeezing it in there. So they're really kind of pushing people to their physical limits and there doesn't seem to be much of a check on how hard they can push people. So, so does this end up looking like the way we've treated farm labor since, you know, the last 400 years, 50,000 years? I don't know. I mean, you look, you look at how, how, how migrant workers have been treated or maybe we haven't looked at her, or maybe I just imagine, uh, you know, uh, certainly not that, you know, I guess we mistreated them because of course <laughs> they were migrant workers, um, which is a terrible thing to say. I mean, just terrible. Um, um, you know, th this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fearing from not only what I've learned from you, but from others that, you know, in, in the Amazon warehouses, you know, or maybe in the way Uber and Lyft want to treat their um, their workers, uh, that it's this, you know, how, how do you, how do how do we treat? Maybe I'll claim Princeton University treats me terribly too, like a <laughs> like a farm worker. Um, although I must admit that I've the only reason why I'm here is because I want to be here. So I, I guess I don't have any. Where does this lead us, or what does this say, maybe about work or something? I, you know, yeah, I mean, they, this is, look, this is a great point. I mean, there's this uh, really fantastic writer named Emily Gindelsberger. She wrote a book called On mm. the Clock. I recommend it to everybody who's interested in this because it's the modern day kind of nickel and dimed, or she's almost like this Upton Sinclair, you know, the jungle type person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and she went into, she worked in an Amazon warehouse, a McDonald's and a call center. And what she found was that in all of them, the, the speed up and the automation of work because of the management by algorithm uh, is, is the same, right? And one of the reasons that workplaces like this can get away with it is if everyone is doing this, you can quit your shitty job, but you can only get, if you don't have, you know, the skills, another shitty job with the same pace of work, maybe a different, slightly different work environment or tasks. So, um, you know, obviously we've had problems with labor exploitation forever in the U S it's kind of how our whole system is built, but yeah, yeah uh, of course, the, the, you know, there, I think, the, and, and, and look, Bezos and the rest will point out and they're right. 
these workers are getting paid a lot more. They do get healthcare from day one. My, my counter to the second point was they're probably going to need that healthcare <laughs> and they're going to lose it. This is the terrible irony. As soon as they get a permanent injury, they're going to lose that healthcare because then they can't work for Amazon anymore. And Amazon's not responsible for it, which is insane to me. But you know, a lot of this is politics, right? Like prop 22 passed. Um, that I think is institutionalizing kind of gig work. Uh, I think we're going to see it spread to a lot of other roles. Um, you know, people talk about the Fishered workplace that's been happening for a long time where it's like, you know, a contractor hires a subcontractor and now the company that hired the company in the middle has no responsible ability. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, so they get abused or sexually harassed or anything. Yeah. There's no recourse. Yeah. So, you know, we're at a moment where the pendulum is swinging back where there's enough of a, enough demand and stimulus from the government and a labor shortage that workers have more say for now. And they're yep. able to demand better wages. Are they going to get better working conditions? I don't know because I honestly think that this is like the, the, the elephant in the room. We don't address it enough. People think that if a worker gets better wages, that's enough, but we don't talk about what shifts there are being demanded from them. Yeah. What kind yeah. of work is being demanded yeah. from them. How are we beating the crap out of them to, to meet up to, to, to the demands of the algorithm that really wants you to be within this tight performance thing that the algorithm needs of you to be able to, be the cog that fits into the wheel that I mean, which is, and and that algorithm has no sociology in it. It has no empathy. It ha, it has you know, right? Yeah, it doesn't. And I think that we, you know, when I went to um, Shakopee, Minnesota, which was the first Amazon, uh, one of the first Amazon warehouses to attempt to organize at all, you know, when those workers walked out, it was really amazing. They weren't demanding higher wages they were demanding better working conditions. Yeah. And I think that that is incredibly telling and it's a very consistent pattern. Well, congratulations so that, on the work you're doing on this, Chris. Yeah, does that, does that end up changing labor unions? Do labor unions, you know, pick up on this and, and really, um, um, you know, become more relevant or whatever. It seems I don't know. As I mean, it, I you know, part of the problem is that, the, that our laws, especially at the federal level, but also at the state level are increasingly unfriendly to labor unions. So, I mean, we saw this with Amazon workers attempting to organize. Yeah. You raise the bar high enough for somebody to create a union, then they're just not going to happen. Labor unions take time. You know, companies move at the speed of their quarterly reports. They're able to, you know, this is why, Am this is why Walmart has never had a significant, uh, you know, unionization uh, of its employees like we uh, we've kind of stacked the the system so that it's almost impossible now so do, so do we need a silicon valley um a brand new type of thing go in there and just completely you know revolutionize uh, the um you know organization and the representation of of human workers in these in these situations in which the human worker is being managed by and and ordered around in some sense by entities that have no empathy at all have have no human social acts and not that that helps i guess that i guess that helps i don't know i'm i wish i knew more so i should have taken a sociology class in, in college damn it well you know what i gotta tell you for professors at your stage of, of 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 your career some of the most thoughtful people that i have met about these larger issues are the folks who have the deep technical background um who who because then you have the credibility to speak to this directly um 
So I, I, you know, I, and the answer to your question is I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, if you look at labor patterns in other countries, Germany, Japan, also obviously a totally different culture than the U S though, as their population shrinks or plateaus and automation increases, the irony is in some ways that gives workers a lot more leverage because every single human you have, the more automation you surround them with, the more valuable they are, right? The more productive they are. And so, you know, if, just by virtue of changing labor markets, workers get more leverage. I think we could see the tide turn. I already see some preliminary signs that Amazon is having to change its ways. You see more and more public announcements from them about they're going to change how workers are treated. Yeah. We'll see if they follow yeah. through. They have to keep ratcheting up the wages because it's the only way they can keep people turning through their system because they have such high turnover. So maybe we're in a moment where labor is getting the upper hand. Yeah, it does seem to me that their public relations on this is 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 not terrible. I mean, it it is good. It's not like you know the 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 strikes in Pittsburgh in you know in the 30s or something or in the 20s or and, and so on and 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 that kind of labor <coughs> management relationship and and in a sense the. Uh, they certainly have the algorithms that will tell them how important the labor pieces are because they know they know they're only putting labor in places where they need it. And so they, they, they certainly must be aware that, in fact, um, you know, that this is a fragile piece of the machinery here that, uh, that uh, you know, requires a little grease and oil and, and maintenance every once in a while. Uh, that they can't just, you know, they're smart enough to know that, okay? <laughs> and, and in fact, you know, they, they built the whole company on this business of of getting his stuff free. I mean, you know, I mean, I just, I just, Oh man, it's like Christmas every day. I have packages on the, on the front porch. You know, I go down, Oh, what did I get today? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, it's really, and look, I mean, look at what they did in their revenues. Look at what they did in their, Oh, holy macro. I mean, we just went nuts, didn't we? I mean, yeah, they probably, they let us survive through this pan. Whoa, what would, what would we have done without them in some sense? Holy macro. Yeah, we would have gotten a lot more mass trips to the store, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and to be clear, like, I'm not saying, you know, ban Amazon or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. anything like that. It, it, I think that these companies, you know, in some ways, they do try to be a progressive employer, but they, they have to be constantly held to account because they're yeah. gigantic. They are distributed. They're siloed to some extent deliberately. There is an element of the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Some of the statements I've seen from upper management about their labor practices are just like frighteningly clueless to me. I'm like, just go and talk to your own workers. It's not yeah, 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 yeah. So I think there is an element of they mean well, but they're so numbers driven, they're so metrics driven that those are always intention. Well, they'll be working even harder. Prime days coming up again. So. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> Moving along to some other headlines, Alan, in the Smart Driving Cars newsletter. Uh, California's Public Utilities Commission has announced that GM's Cruise has gotten the green light to participate in unpaid driverless ride services to the public without a safety driver in the vehicles. Uh, they will need remote safety operators, though, but uh, I guess this is another 
another step. Yeah, I mean, the the whole business, uh, we've always said there's, look, you're not, you're not going to send these things out and then close your eyes and, you know, go have a drink. I mean, cut it out. I mean, you're responsible. So you're you're going to look over it and you're probably going to be shaking in your, in your boots in the, in the beginning, because you don't know what you don't know. I mean, that's been the fundamentals of the problem of this technology. So the issue is, is when are they actually going to be confident enough that they can actually do it. I mean, we talked about disengagements. A lot of there's been a lot of arguments as to whether or not disengagement reports in California were the appropriate. I always thought the disengagement reports are really good, you know. And in fact, if I'm testing, I would like to get a lot of disengagements, right? Because it tells me what I've got to fix. Okay. All right. And and you know, maybe I want to get rich and, and flip my company and therefore I'll go out in the Nevada desert where I won't have any and then, you know, buyer beware. But forget it. If I'm really trying to do this, then I'm trying to find it, fix it and get it working. And But when are they going to really be confident enough as, as to what, you know, Waymo did it and is doing in Chandler, at least having some vehicles out there doing it okay i keep saying they've got to do it where there's people that would appreciate it and they have to come to trenton and do it in trenton where you know there there you can actually deliver some value to people and they'll appreciate it whereas in in chandler i mean everybody owns more cars and they know what to do with so what the hell i mean you know (laughs) it's not the the best market you've been anyway we've been down that road but yes great i can't wait to for crews to say, Hey, yeah, we're, we're actually doing it. Okay. Yeah. Without to, a driver, be clear, you know? to be clear. I mean, I talked to them last week. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that this headline means anything other than yeah. that they got approval. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That means they can now try yeah. to roll it out, but who knows when that will happen. There's actually yet another approval they have to get because it's California. There's another agency that's got to get involved that deals with, you know, if you take paid fares for like yeah. a taxi service. Yeah. Um, so then they'll get that approval and then they still don't have to actually roll it out. So God knows when it's actually going to happen. Yeah, and, and My hope- sense is also, by the way, that Waymo is still ahead of Cruise, not just based on the empirical evidence, but based on experience that some yeah. of my colleagues have had with their systems. Yeah, they're they're ahead of everybody in the world. Okay, I mean, you know, blame me or you know, you know, way ahead of anybody in the world. They're actually doing it. They've they've done the hard work. They've gone in there. They've been very careful. They've done it where they can do it. They haven't gone out there and said, "Oh, look at me, I'm gonna you know do it in the hardest place." Forget about it. Do it in the easiest place first. At least get the darn thing working someplace, and then you know, grow it. I keep, you know, saying that Frank Sinatra is not the right model here, you know, just because you can do it in New York. Of course, you can do it anywhere. I mean, don't even try in New York. I mean, forget about it. Okay, there there are a lot of places in the world in which you can deliver a lot of good. Let's do some. Let's let's start getting on the delivery. Some deliver some value out of this thing, as opposed to just having investors slosh losses back and forth. And and yeah, and to be and to be clear, I think that we're 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 actually in a good place in terms of incentives are aligned economically because we are past this startup boom. Let's just burn VC capital. Look, Uber unloaded their self driving. Uh, car team to Aurora. Yeah. And they literally, I don't want to say literally because I'm not factually correct. 
but then they invested 400 million in Aurora. It's like they paid Aurora to take their self-driving yes, system. They did. Lyft got rid of theirs to cruise. Yeah. So we're at the point now where, you know, Alphabet owns Waymo. The people who are left, they are publicly traded companies. They have to show a return on this at some point. Yeah. So their incentive is, I think, aligned to like, how do we make this work as a business? Because that's the only way it's going to expand. Absolutely. This has to be a business. Uh, I hope that that's what the, what the investors thought when they put money into it. And, and maybe, the, but I don't think the business is selling these things to us. Okay. I think it's providing mobility out there to folks who will appreciate it and be willing to reach down their pocket and pay for it. And those that can't quite afford it, it's going to be so affordable that the, that the public sector will go in and, and throw in a few nickels. Okay. I, I, and, uh, I do disagree on the affordability side. I'll yeah. send you an analysis, but, um, but, but we'll, we'll see, we'll see yeah, if it work or not. It, it, we have to strive for that. We, we have absolutely have to strive for it. I don't think it can't be a one percenter solution. Okay. I think it has to be, you know, because there, there's, I don't know, 20, 30% of the people out there who could really benefit from this 20%, 30% of families, you get 20 or 30% of any market and you serve them. You have a nice business going. Right. I mean, mean, we we can't forget that global penetration of the personal automobile is only like 20 or 30%. Yeah, 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 and, and and then there's a then there's a rest. I'm talking about just in the U.S. I mean, you know, in in Trenton, seventy percent of the of the families have at most one car. Okay, so one person have, might have mobility, and what uh, eighteen or nineteen percent have zero. Right, and it's not because it's Manhattan. You got a subway to take you to wherever you want to go. You you essentially have nothing. And it's not that they just want to walk over and take a train to New York and go work for Goldmine Sachs. I mean, you know. You mentioned Aurora a minute ago, yeah. and uh, they're reportedly in final talks to merge with Reinvent Technology Partners Y, which uh, was launched by LinkedIn's co-founder and investor Reid Hoffman and some others. Yeah, that, that in the yeah, yeah, I'd like yeah. to have Chris's thought on that one. I'm I'm have I'm happy for Chris Ermson, you know. Uh, hopefully, he gets a gets a nice payday out of this thing and so on. He deserves it. I mean, he's he's one of the uh, well, a lot of really good people in there. He, he is one. But Chris, what what do you think about this thing? Uh, I mean, I think I think overall, uh, you know, if you if you're going public via a SPAC, that's a contraindicator of future success. That doesn't mean some of them aren't going to succeed, you know. But let's say, let's say like one in ten. I mean, I, I think that we we're we're in a we're in a challenging time to make predictions macroeconomically because we have forever stimulus. So um, it, it, it it's 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 difficult to describe just what a weird time it is in terms of people's pocketbooks. It's good for the individual, right? Consu- you know, personal debts lower than ever. People have more money they're spending. Uh, but in terms of the markets, I mean, you know, the markets are insane. It's the longest bull run since whenever. And uh, I worry, <laughs> as, as investor Bill Gurley has said so eloquently, that when you have kind of limitless capital or effectively limitless capital for too long, you never have to actually prove to yourself in absolute terms that your business model works. Like forget whether even your unit economics work. Like, does like we're in an era where like Uber and Lyft and 
the rest like just keep losing money and now they're public companies that went public the old-fashioned way so i do worry that there's going to be a correction and yet more wipeouts and yet more consolidation i don't think that the aurora or the two simple model is proved yet because yes it's easier to drive a truck on the highway but the one percent of instances where it's less where it's hard and there's a safety critical situation you know it's lives are at stake in a massive way like the, you know there's nothing more dangerous on the highway than a big rig to its own driver even so um i just think there are so many hurdles left and so, it's and there's no way to tell how much more runway we're going to get out of this absolutely bizarre economy that we have globally <laughs> Well, okay. Well, so wait, wait. Let me let me see. We, we can we can cut this out if if we go go down the wrong. Can I ask you about too simple? Because to me, again, being completely outside in a bubble here, <laughs> whatever, um, seems to me that too simple is really trying to be a logistics company, and they're trying to manage freight between terminals that they're going to locate at intersections or off ramps of, of highways strategically around the country. And, you know, as far as they're concerned, as long as they can manage and to get the stuff between those things, you know, somewhat efficiently uh, with or without people that in some sense, the, the, the technology piece is, is sort of just a little icing on it on a cake which is the but the fundamental is 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 the logistics business is the is the warehousing the 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 repositioning of of goods that needs to take place around the country so that we can all get stuff as you as you point out in your book is is do you see that with them or or do you really think that the the technology is a centerpiece of what they're trying to do I mean, you know, maybe they pulled the wool over my eyes, but I spent m probably more time with them than they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. writing this book, I have a whole chapter on them. Yeah, yeah. Went back and forth and back and forth in the fact-checking phase and got a lot yeah, of it yeah. that way, and I've spent time in their truck. I do think that for them, the technology is central. I do think that they are a serious player. Um, you know, in terms of how they're going to make money about whether they're going to go license it to folks like Aurora, I think they're going to they're licensing it to Volvo Trucking or they're going to be a logistics company, you know, I don't know, or it's such a big market. It's probably both. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. I think that the, 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 the challenge that I'm surprised that they don't address that all these companies don't address, which we talked about earlier, which is the liability part. Look, these vehicles can be safer than humans. And one big marquee accident, like when the Uber self-driving car killed a pedestrian. Yeah. Yeah. Elaine Hersberg. Their chances. And I think that the, the thing that they actually should be screaming for is some kind of federal standard that just says, Hey, if we can meet this standard where we can prove by these means that we're safer than humans, then we're good to go. And you'll just let us continue to operate. And I think because it creates a conversation around, uh, you know, what is it that we're actually demanding? Because if we're demanding perfection from them, if that's what the court of public opinion is going to demand from them, they're not never going to It's not, it's not never going to happen. I'll, 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 let me get, take a little, try another step with you. I've, I've made the argument that, that in fact, uh, what Aurora and Too Simple should be selling is really driver assistance package that are really good. And the folks that need a great deal of driver assistance, even though they're professionals or professional truck drivers. 
And the reason they need a lot of a lot of help is because they're spending 10 hours a day every day to feed their families doing this. And if they have a momentary lapse, they die. Okay, and 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 the strain that must exist on those folks that do that driving, they could use some technological help to support them. And if you deliver that as a trucking company, you of course save on crashes, which you know totals up liabilities at least fifteen thousand dollars per truck per year. Uh, at least you could chop that in half. You're, you sh- if it, technology doesn't chop that in half, you have 75 plus. You might be able to let the driver get one more hour of service out of this thing because they're not as stressed and you might be able to argue that sucker. Plus, these are your employees and the CEO you know, cares about these, these folks and therefore will buy that technology and put it in his or her truck and make it happen. Why has that argument failed in this, so far in the, in this in this whole this? To me, I mean, if I were if I was Chris, that's what I, I I'd push that right now. Sell it right now. Sell it in the gazillions. When it becomes good enough to take the driver out, we'll worry about it when we cross that bridge. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know the answer. I think that we were really sold early on on this idea that we were just going to go ahead and eliminate the driver completely, and then the cost savings that would be involved would justify, you know, whatever that would cost in terms of R&D. You know, now that that is looking to be more and more difficult to achieve, you know, this kind of incremental innovation seems more appealing. But I think the other part of the problem is, you know, we, you that's harder to go and sell to a bunch of venture capitalists. So, you know, I think, you know, you got to remember that these companies now are decades old, you know, like 10, 15, sometimes 20 years old. And so when they were first selling this idea, everybody was starry eyed. Everybody was like, we are just going to get humans out of the driver's seat completely. All the intelligence will reside in the vehicle. This can be a revolution. There's going to be no personal car ownership ever again. And, you know, our highways will be safer than ever. And VCs were like, great, here's $10 billion, you know, or net, net $100 billion. So we are in the world that was envisioned 10, 15 years ago. And the world we have now is different. And so we may go there eventually, just as you described. So how do we how do we declare bankruptcy and clean up our balance sheet of the old concept and enter the new concept? I mean, you I know, think, I, think yeah, I, I mean, we, this is the way business. Right. Sorry the about that. <laughs> well, you know, I or mean, that's what airlines do. I mean, United's done it how many times and whatever they, you know. You know, folks, you know, and that's why we have chapter 11s. You know, you've you've done your investment, you screwed it up and you have to clean it out to, you know, keep going. I mean, we're not in chapter seven where you're tearing up the tracks. You know, I did, you know, I dealt with a reorganization of nations railroads, uh, you know, from 75 to 2000, I, you know, from, from the, I like to say for, from the conception to the internment of Conrail, you know, which is, which was part of that kind of whole thing. We, we gotta, we gotta clean up our balance sheet. How, how do you, how do you clean up this balance sheet so that you can actually say, oh my goodness, we were starry-eyed, but, or don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, look, these companies are gonna, they're gonna deliver or they're not, 
And, and at some point, you know, investors are going to demand a return. And, you know, what we've seen happen, as we saw with Lyft and Uber's self-driving efforts, is that they get sold for a fraction of what was invested in them. Or in the case of, you know, Uber offloading its uh, research team for negative value, you know, paying somebody almost half a billion dollars to take it off their hands, essentially. So that, that's where these things end up now. They don't end up in bankruptcy. What happens is the, the, the technology does have value. The team has value. And somebody who's bigger acquires it and says, let's scale back our ambitions. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah, because you look at what Amazon did with Zooks. Is that certainly what they did? I mean, you know, Amazon, if it, you know, if anybody really needs driverless delivery locally, I mean, I've said the easy time to do it is between midnight and 5 a.m. out of the Robbinsville facility. They, they, they might not bring everything they need to bring to my home. They bring half of it. Holy hell, I can deal with half of the stuff that I have to move out of a distribution center between those times with these things when there are no people riding bicycles or kids chasing balls i mean holy no wonder they got they they picked up on souks they've got to be making you know somebody in there is thinking about how to make that happen they they have to be so uh, yeah it, it, and as as uh, chris picked up uh, hey they were all friends of his they all came out of carnegie mellon there it was like probably putting the putting the all the classmates back together again you know when with what he picked up and people in Toronto, I think we're sort of left. You mean you're not taking us too? Uh, I don't know if that's really what happened. But A couple of other quick things to touch on before we close out, uh, Alan and Chris. Uh, SpaceX, Alan, talk about moving goods here, had another <laughs> successful launch and booster landing to resupply the space station. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been watching launches and, since the Vanguard days and watching them blow up on the whatever. And I, I'd like to watch all of the, all of the SpaceX launches, but my goodness, the, the last one, I mean, the, the, with it, with a new booster, they must've put better, better antennas and some better communications on it because, because the video all the way down to landing. And I, I encourage people to click on it from six minutes in and watch that sucker. I, I think that's the first time I've ever seen one. I, I think that's the first real time landing from the, whatever they did. They did it with the starship, but anyway, um, Hey, I have to get some enjoyment too. So I, well, I, I then there's Jeff that. Bezos who is taking his brother with him aboard the blue origin, new shepherd on its first crude flight. And this is scheduled for July 20th. I think his decision to, to be on board came as a surprise to many. Yeah, you know, Jeff, class of 86, whatever, <laughs> go for a ride, whatever. Hey, can I come along too? <laughs> Holy hell. Uh, I guess I'm still a space cadet, whatever. What can I tell you? Well, Chris, <laughs> we, want to, we want to take a minute to, to really thank you for, for being here with us today and uh, look forward to, to the book as well coming this, uh, this September. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to to get your uh, the breadth of your expertise on this. I really appreciate it. Well, Chris, it's a pleasure to have you and get the breadth of your expertise and what you're doing and 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 where you're making it available. You certainly, uh, you know, have a nice big megaphone to, to do it. And 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 also with respect to the logistics system, it. 
it 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 amazed me how well it worked during COVID. And if it wouldn't have, I mean, yes, we had a little problem with toilet paper and whatever, but but oh my goodness, there was still food on the shelves. I mean, what the hell would have happened? I mean, and and all those folks that went out there to make that happen, to do all the pieces and so on and so forth, uh, you know, and and it just shows how how really, in some sense, well it works. Uh, how hard some people worked. Uh, they deserve they deserve an annual. They deserve a little bonus or something, I guess, or something like that. And and let's try to make it better for them because hey, you know that's the way we're living, isn't it? I mean, we we it's a big value to us. The book, once again, is called Arriving Today, and you can follow Chris also on, on the Wall Street Journal, obviously. We want to thank our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you turn for podcasts. You can get your smart speaker to play us as well. And you can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and please stay safe. And Christopher, thank you. It's great having you, huh? Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs>